Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, Dr. Henry Morris III, CEO of the Institute for Creation Research, will cover part two of a 10-part series on the six days of creation. Here's Dr. Morris. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. That old English word firmament kind of throws us all a curve. We think of something that's solid or something like that, but it's meant to mean the heavens, the space, the sky. God did something on day two with the waters, the watery matrix that he created and brought into existence on day one that made it more functioning. No creation going on here, but shaping and preparing it. On the initial universe day, the first day, created by the will and purpose of God, the triune Godhead now began making and shaping the heavens and the earth into an organized and functioning cosmos, an organized system in preparation for the life that would be created on days five and six. Day two of creation involved the making here again, that Hebrew word asa of the firmament and the dividing of the waters. Firmament comes from the Hebrew rakia and is usually translated expanse in more recent Bible versions. The Hebrew term clearly means an extended surface or a thin, stretched out space. This firmament is inserted into the waters, causing them to be divided. Some of these waters were divided or situated above this space with the remainder staying below. Peter, in his epistle, speaks of the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And the prophet Isaiah reveals to us that God sat above the circle of the earth and stretched out the heavens like a curtain to spread them out like a tent to dwell in. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, rakia is often used to describe different expanses. The speech and knowledge of the Creator are openly declared in the firmament, according to Psalm 19. Ezekiel describes a firmament above the heavens of the cherubim that was like a sapphire supporting the throne of God. Daniel tells us that the wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament and the stars in Daniel chapter 12. Obviously, the Hebrew term is meant to be descriptive rather than nominative. Rakia is a thing that God made but it's more often used as an adjective to describe how it is used. Perhaps that's why God specifically named the rakia heaven. While the specific naming of the expanse is designated as heaven during the activity of the second day, the Old Testament uses the proper name heaven over 400 times and in several different ways. 
It's used of both the solar system and the starry universe when God describes the lights that he developed on day four. It's used of the atmosphere where the birds are to fly, above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. The birds of the air are mentioned an additional 16 times in the Old Testament. It's used by God himself during his discourse with Job to describe the stars and galaxies of the universe. Can you guide the great bear with his cubs or loose the belt of Orion? Do you know the ordinances heaven? Can you set their dominion over the earth? God asked Job. It's also used specifically of the sun and moon, our near solar system. When Joshua spoke to the Lord, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven. The waters above, wherever these physical properties may have been described by the information that God provides about day two, it's clear that the upper waters would have been invisible to earth inhabitants. The sun and the moons of the stars would later have become time references that would necessitate visibility from the earth's surface. Those waters that remain below would eventually become seas. In between this rakia, all the elements necessary to sustain the breath of life would be formed and maintained. What kind of water would God have placed above this expanse? Whatever it was, it would not have consisted of clouds or mist or fog because all of these have droplets of water that obscure light. Nor could it have been some form of ice band in the upper reaches of the earth's heavens since such a barrier would either obscure the sun or be melted by it. Some had suggested that the waters were diffused into the outer rim of the universe itself, thus placing them beyond the sun and moon and stars. Still others have postulated that the upper waters were dispersed through space in some form of a dark matter. There are a number of ways to understand this, but obviously none of us really knows. We're faced with the biblical information that this first cosmos was standing out of water and in the water, and that this unique condition perished under the awful cataclysm of the global flood. That biblical scenario is verified by all of our modern scientific observation to the extent that there's no such water above anywhere now, nor could atmospheric conditions as we now know them ever rain for 40 days and 40 nights as they did at the start of the flood. Either conditions were very different in the past, as the Bible suggests, or the Bible is simply wrong. There is no in-between on this issue. Now it's time for a short break. We'll hear more from Dr. Morris in a moment. The design of the human body inspires awe and fascination, and for good reason. It's made up of so many different parts and systems, all working together for a greater purpose. Check out our book, Guide to the Human Body, to discover astonishing facts about the construction of the cell, the mechanics of hands and feet, and the incredible abilities of the brain. Published by the Institute for Creation Research, Guide to the Human Body will answer questions you didn't even know you had. How do our eyes give us sight? How does a baby take its first breath? What happens to the human body in outer space? Guide to the Human Body's full-color images and easy-to-read format shows our amazing design points to the ultimate designer, God. Order your copy from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. 
Here's Dr. Morris. It does appear, however, that the Earth was very different in the past. The fossil record provides evidence of a vastly different climate and ecological distribution than we observe today. Studies have indicated that the total biomass in the past, that is, the total of all the carbon-based systems, was nearly 100 times greater than we can account for today. Coal accumulations are huge, indicating caches of plant material crushed together in seams spanning hundreds of miles. Antarctica contains one of the largest coal deposits in the world. There are billions of fish fossils massed both in depth and distribution over the entire planet. Fossil graveyards. Many millions of bones are scrambled together and mingled in enormous deposits. Many fossils of plants and animals are much larger than their comparative specimens alive today. Ferns and trees and squids and sharks and cockroaches and dragonflies and alligators and dinosaurs. The list is both amazing and a bit frightening. Earth's catastrophic past is well documented. Just what caused the past to be different is not known specifically, but the biblical model for waters above the firmament suggests an intellectually plausible description of an environment structure that would be sufficient, at least physically, to produce the fossil abnormalities that we know about, as well as provide for the biblical information about pre-flood human longevity. Whatever or however the waters were distributed above the Earth's surface, they would have produced several effects in the past that we do not observe today. Now, a lot of this has to be like a detective looking at the clues and trying to figure out how it works. But there would have been some form of a heat distribution effect, wide distribution of topical plants like ferns and palm trees and cold-blooded animals, that is, reptiles, would have been aided by a worldwide distribution and diffusion of the sun's energy. Today's the Earth's habitable zone is quite small compared to its total surface. Something redistributed the energy heat from the sun differently than what we observe today. That's obvious we don't know because we can't go back and measure it, but the fossil record tells us things were really different back then. A shield of waters would have resulted in some sort of a filtering of the radioactive waves and particles from space. If such a band were interposed between the sun and the earth or even between the solar system and the outer universe, the shield would impact would have been really significant. A reduction in air currents and resulting storms would have followed some sort of water shield above the atmosphere. Such air currents are caused by temperature differences over large areas. If the earth were largely subtropical in the past, as seems to be evidenced by the fossil record, then there would have been far fewer cyclonic and disastrous environmental forces at work. There would have been an absence of deserts and polar caps. Evidence abounds that the modern deserts and polar ice are new to the planet's history. In other words, they are really very recent. Ruins of cities are well known, as are the stories of disappearing ecological histories. What is available to our observation today verifies that our Earth was very different not so long ago. Whatever was done during that second day, the new structure was sufficient to provide a foundation for an ordered structure that was to support the vast biological processes that were to come. This is a marvelous idea, 
that somehow God took one whole day to structure the universe in such a way that everything that followed would be good and ultimately very good. God doesn't give us much information about day two. In fact, it's the one day that he doesn't make a particular comment about it being very good. It's just evidently so important that Peter had to mention it as what made the earth so different back then. Day one, God created the heavens and the earth. On day two, he prepared it for the living things that would to follow. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.